Hello and welcome to episode number 69 of the AFTV newscast being recorded January 27th, 2017. My name is Elias Saba and I run AFTVnews.com and this is where I talk about the week's Fire TV news and re- related topics to the Fire TV and to Amazon and to the Echo and we'll be talking about the NVIDIA Shield, the new NVIDIA Shield TV that just came out this month. We'll be talking about the software update that came out for the Fire TV first generation and Fire TV Stick first generation that just rolled out a couple weeks ago or so. Uh, sorry about missing last week's episode. Something came up that I just decided would be a better use of my time. And uh, the the week that last week wasn't uh, too much going on there anyway. So decided to just skip that week. That'll occasionally happen here and there. I might skip a week. Um, I try to let you guys know ahead of time on the site at least before I do that. But sometimes it just happens like the day of where I decide I, I, I need to just skip that week. So um, yeah, let's go ahead and get on with the show. So as I mentioned, first gen Fire TVs and Fire TV Sticks received a new software update uh, about a week ago or so. Uh, it's software version 5.2.1.2. So a slight increase from that previous version. A uh, big question everybody is wondering is does this bring the new, the new user interface to those older devices? Unfortunately, no. Uh, for the most part, it looks like this software update is just bug fixes and security fixes. So Google pretty much uh, puts out like a, a batch of uh, Android security fixes every once in a while. And so Amazon basically picks those up and incorporates those into all the Fire TV devices. And so it looks like Amazon didn't want to wait until the big UI update for those first gen devices in order to bring in these security fixes and these these bug fixes. So it looks like they put this out kind of in between, you know, where we're at right now and that new big UI update that's coming to the, the Fire TV one and the Fire TV stick one. We've actually got Kerwin Douglas chiming in here on Twitter asking, so when is the first gen Fire TV going to receive the new interface update? Uh, we don't know. Amazon hasn't said for sure. It just said that definitely the first gen Fire TV and the first gen Fire TV sticks are going to receive the new interface uh, eventually. You know, at some point, they haven't given any time frame or anything. All they've really said is that second gen devices are going to get it first, which has already happened. And then first gen devices will eventually get it. My guess is we'll probably hopefully see it arrive sometime in March or April-ish. Looks like there's a lot going on at Amazon right now. And so this might not be a high priority for them but you know thankfully they did put out this new update with the security fixes at the very least but um but yeah i don't know exactly when it's going to come out it doesn't seem like it's going to be in february right now so maybe a little bit after that but it will come eventually uh just don't know exactly when so there's not too much to say about this software update. It doesn't bring any new features. I haven't really noticed anything, you know, actually different in the features or the interface or or the settings or anything like that. It looks like it's just a back-end security bug fix uh, update. Um, I still haven't received the actual or captured the actual URL file so that I can pass them over to Rbox for him to create those pre-rooted ROMs that he usually does. Um, but I'll probably get that soon. I've actually just realized right now that I forgot to actually check for those. And so right after this podcast, I'll probably try to grab those for Rbox box and hopefully he'll be able to put out those uh, pre-rooted ROMs with this software update uh, shortly. Next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about my downloader app. I just uh, published the first update to the app since I initially released it. I think it was back in November. Uh, this update is version 1.1.0. Uh, pretty excited about this update. Actually, uh, like I mentioned in a few podcasts ago, I looked for a developer. Uh, basically, uh, some guy contacted me. He's, uh, he's 
great in the Fire TV community. Uh, he's created some uh, some little apps and stuff that he's posted on XDA. So he's got some experience with the Fire TV already. He's done a great job basically implementing the features that I wanted. I, I don't have the skill or the time to learn the skill right now to actually continue developing the app myself. So I basically just hired him, paying him to, to do these features. So he's done a great job here of putting them out. I just want to go over the, the new features real quick. Uh, for those who don't know, my downloader app, Basically, it's in the official Amazon Fire TV app store, and its main purpose is to make downloading files onto the Fire TV from the internet uh, as easy as possible, um, specifically to sideload APKs. So, for example, if you want to install Kodi or SPMC, those are pretty much the two most popular sideloaded APKs or apps on the Fire TV. All you have to do is, is type in the URL to the APK file, hit the download button, it downloads, pops up the install, you hit install, and then you're done. So, in my opinion, it's now it's the easiest way to actually sideload apps on to the Fire TV. And so I wanted to expand it. It's been really popular. I have over 400,000 people have installed the app so far. And so I, I wanted to update it, add a few more features to it. So the first thing I've changed with the downloader app is I've uh, had them improve the actual downloading capabilities. You know, it, it does a little bit better job of detecting file, detecting the right URLs and downloading files. So there are little, little backend bug fixes there. So hopefully it'll be a little bit more stable for some of those little odd, odd URLs that some people are typing in. You know, for the straightforward stuff like Kodi and SPMC, it's always worked solid there, but it got a little bit of download improvements. Also shows the uh, progress of the actual download a little bit better now where it actually shows the file size being downloaded and uh, how far along it has gone in the download process. Um, I've also added donation buttons to the home screen. Uh, now, the app, I'm paying it out of my own pocket. Well, I developed the first version and now I'm paying out of my own pocket to to develop it further, but I don't want to charge for the app at all. And I don't definitely don't want to put any ads in there. I want the app to be clean and simple, um, you know, forever, hopefully. And so I've added these donation buttons basically just to help support the app. So any, any donations that come in through the app, they're going basically right back into the app to add more features. So, you know, basically the, the quicker I get donations for the app, the quicker I'll be able to add features that people are requesting and fix bugs and that sort of stuff. Um, so far, this new version with the donation buttons has been out for about a week now. I've been getting a nice little stream of donations, nothing major or anything, but um, I just barely broke even with what I paid to release this new version. And so now I'm looking at basically adding some some additional features with future donations from this point on. So thank you to everybody who has already donated and thank you to everybody who is considering donating, uh, you know, after listening to this or something like that. But yeah, you can donate through the app itself. Uh, there are just buttons right there on the home screen. You can use Amazon coins if you've got a bunch of those just sitting around. You can, uh, you know, use those to donate. It's the same thing as actual currency as far as the app is concerned. Moving on to the other new features, I've, I've finally added a uh, kind of basic file browser within the app. So before the, all the app did was basically download files, but there was no way to go in and reopen those files or delete those files or anything like that. So now there's a new files section in the app. Uh, again, very simple, just lets you see the files that you've downloaded through the app itself and actually let you reopen them or delete them if you've already you know, installed them, for example. So here in the video version, if you're watching it, you could see the screen, very straightforward, just a flat list when the file was created, the file name and the actual you know, location where that file is stored. Then the other thing I added with this new feature is just a couple new setting options. Well, actual settings menu, you know, well, that's actually one thing that I added before that app didn't even have like a navigation menu. Now it actually has a little navigation menu on the side where I'll be adding future uh, features also. So in the 
navigation menu, there's a settings section in there right now. There are two options. You know, hopefully in the future there'll be a few more options. Uh, first one is you you can choose now where files are downloaded. Basically, you can select the folder in your slash SD card directory on your device where those files are downloaded. By default, they're downloaded into a folder called Downloader, which is the name of the app. But you can change that now if you want. Uh, whatever you change that folder to, that's the folder that also gets displayed in the files section. So if you want to just set some folder that you've created, uh, those files will also show up in the files section of the app. And then the last new setting that I added is the ability to disable the auto installation on the app. So the way it is right now and the way it's always been is when you download an APK file, the app sees that it's an APK file and then just automatically triggers the installation once the download completes. I did that for simplicity just so people don't have to go looking for the file and opening the file because I figure if you're downloading an APK file, you're going to want to install it immediately. So what's the point of having you select that? Why not just do it automatically? But I heard from some people that they wanted to not have that feature uh, automatically install the APK because they want to be able to download several APKs at once and then go back and install them all at once. So you can go into the settings now and just uncheck this option to auto install if you want to. And so after the uh, actual file downloads, you can go to the file section and then install it from there manually just by selecting it. Actually got a question here on Twitter coming in from Ralph asking, where do you find the URLs for APKs? My issue is not being to find the correct URL that will download the APK directly. Uh, Ralph, I hear you. I've been hearing that from a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of the file hosting sites and a lot of the just the general APK hosting sites, they don't allow you to directly link to a file. You have to actually like load a web page and then from that web page, click a download button and then you can download the file. And obviously the app doesn't have that ability right now. That is on the list of new features that I want to add. Um, for the most part right now, if you find a APK file that you want to download through the app itself, um, your only option is to actually download it to a PC and then upload it to some file hosting service that lets you do direct downloads. And then that way you can put those into the actual, you know, downloaders URL field. But I'm, I'm working with uh, the d developer that I've hired for, for the app to work with those file hosting sites that don't actually, you know, let you directly link to the file. So, so it's on the list, you know, hopefully people will donate to the app so that I can speed up that development and get those features. But I'm definitely reading all of the reviews. I'm definitely reading all of the feedback. And um, I'm not going to be adding features just for the sake of adding features. I want to add features that people are asking for, that people want, that'll, you know, really get used. You know, so I don't want to make the app all bloated like ES File Explorer or anything like that. Like the, the main purpose of creating this app is simplicity. And I want to keep that theme with all future updates to it. I want everything that gets added to be as easy and as simple as possible. I know ES File Explorer has a lot of capabilities in there. That was basically the app that everybody used to use before my app came along but everybody hates the interface on that app especially on the fire tv if you don't have an actual keyboard or, or mouse connected so i'm trying to figure out a, an easy way to basically download files from a website not from a direct download link through my app and so you know just this week i actually specced out all the new features that i want to add in the app in the next version and i'm going to be talking actually right after this podcast most likely i'm going to be talking to the developer and trying to figure out what you know if we can get these things done so um, so yeah, check out the app. I'll of course put a link down below in the show notes uh, where you can get it. You can just search for it on your Fire TV. It's called Downloader. But of course, you can find it just directly on Amazon's website also, which, you know, link will be down below. Next up, so I wrote this guide on how to actually add uh, Google Voice Assistant capabilities to the Amazon Echo or to the Fire TV or basically to Alexa. Um, this basically allows you to say, Alexa, ask Google 
something, you know, blank. You basically pose a question and the response will be coming from Google's, you know, artificial AI voice assistant, essentially. Um, this isn't the same as like the Google Home, for example. That is their full on voice assistant. This is really just Google's um, what they call their knowledge graph. So if you go to Google search and you type in something like a question, Google will try to predict uh, what you're asking for and give you an actual answer at the very top of the Google search. That's what this new kind of ability that you're adding to Alexa does. Um, it's really helpful because Alexa is very capable, can do a lot of different things, especially, you know, with all the different Alexa skills that are available. But Google generally has a better understanding of general knowledge questions. And so that's why having the two in the same place is really handy so that when you ask Alexa for something and if Alexa can't find the answer for it, it doesn't know the answer for it, then you have the ability to ask Google basically. So the um, implementation of uh, Google onto Alexa is very unofficial. Um, so it's not an actual skill that you can just go into the Alexa skill store and enable and then you're all done. So that's why I wrote this guide for it. First of all, credit goes to the people who actually created this first. I did not create this. I just wrote the guide on how to, you know, hopefully help you get it installed onto your Alexa devices. Uh, please check down below in the show notes. I'll have a link directly to all the people who were involved with getting this to work and making this possible. But basically, the, the guide walks you through the steps of actually how to create your own Alexa skill. Now, that might sound like it's difficult and the guide might seem like it's pretty long. I think it's about 20 different steps. But really, in the end, all you're doing is copy and pasting specific values in, in web forms. So you're, you're going through the process of setting up a skill, but you're not coding anything yourself. You're literally just copy pasting and uploading files so it's very simple for for anybody to set up once you get it set up on your amazon account and all of your devices that that can run alexa will have access to this ask google skills so i definitely encourage everybody to do it it's really handy i've already you know used it many times myself just in the last week or so that i've actually had this set up so uh, i won't go through the actual guide itself but i tried to be as detailed as possible Again, everything is laid out step by step, even down to like click this button, enter this exact text here, click this button, uh, upload this file, all that good stuff. So so again, it looks long. It might seem complicated, but it really isn't. Uh, we've got Damien here who, who is a regular on the live stream who is 14 years old and they were able to figure it out and get it set up and working. So if, if Damien can do it, you guys can do it too. Ralph has actually chimed in here on Twitter saying, I was able to add Ask Google to the Fire TV successfully, so even us older guys can do it too. So that's funny. So yeah, it, it's, it seems more complicated than it's not. That's the main thing I want to, to stress. Um, it seems you're, you're setting up multiple accounts. So you're setting up an Amazon AWS account and you're setting up an Amazon developer account. But both those are free accounts. You're literally just filling out forms and putting in the right fields and hitting submit. And then it just all works in the end. Uh, got a question here from Kurtwin asking, are there any specific benefits for adding Google a voice assistant to Alexa? Uh, the main thing is, like I said, the access to that knowledge. So Alexa can answer some general questions, but it's a lot more limited than Google. Google has been working on this for a lot longer. They've got their search engine. Their search engine actually crawls websites and actually tries to determine the answers to the very common questions or, or questions people might ask. And so the way I personally use this and the way I really expect most people will use this is when you ask Alexa for the answer to something if alexa responds saying that she doesn't know the answer or, or doesn't understand the question then i you just basically pose the exact same question to google and often enough you'll get an answer from google it isn't usually as nicely formatted as it would be from alexa so that's why i personally always go to 
to Alexa first, and then I'll go through Google if Alexa can't find the answer. But but uh, Kerwin, that's really the the main reason to add this is just to have access to that little bit of extra knowledge and and question answering ability that Alexa is not capable of doing right now. So of course, down in the show notes, I'll put a link to this guide specifically. It'll walk you through everything and and hopefully get you able to to add more abilities to to Alexa. So speaking of Alexa, next thing I wanted to briefly talk about is that the Amazon Echo and the Echo Dot now have the ability to set the wake word to be computer. Um, for those of you who, who might not know why this is significant is because in the Star Trek universe, all of the the bridge computers, basically, uh, you, you respond to, or you talk to them by saying computer and then posing your question. And so Amazon has added this just kind of almost as an Easter egg, but not really an Easter egg. But it's just fun for, for those of you who are Star Trek fans like I am, uh, if you want to you can change your wake up word now from Alexa you can change it to computer so you just basically have to say computer and then ask a question and it will respond the same way it does right now with Alexa Uh, the other two alternatives you can set it to be echo to the wake word can be echo and you can also always set it to be Amazon but those two are not nearly as fun as computer in my opinion Uh, to set it you can go to either alexa.amazon.com that's the web interface or you could do it through the app basically just go into settings and somewhere in there you'll be able to set a wake word Uh, i'm pretty sure you can set the wake word per device so if you have multiple echoes or echo dots you can uh, set one to be alexa one to be computer if that's what you want to do Um, this doesn't affect the uh, fire tv it's only for the echo and echo dot devices because those are the always listening devices whereas the fire tv you just press the actual voice button on the remote you don't actually have to say the wake word or anything so Lori actually is chiming in here on Twitter saying my Star Trek fantasy hasn't downloaded yet. Yeah, this is a software update, so it might not be available on your specific devices just yet. Uh, so if you go into your settings and you don't see it there, you might have to wait a little while or, or try to um, initiate an update through the actual app itself. Uh, I believe software version 4812 is the one that comes with this new wake word uh, for computer capability. Next, before I get into uh, showing off the NVIDIA Shield and talking about that device and comparing it to the Fire TV, uh, I did want to mention that I tend to keep track of all of the Amazon original content news that comes out, you know, based uh, around uh, TV shows and movies that Amazon acquires and releases and that sort of stuff. So I've got an actual link. I'll put it down below. It's aftvnews.com slash tag slash Amazon hyphen original. Um, I know it's not uh, easy uh URL to remember necessarily, but again, link down below. And uh, I just I'm mentioning it now because there's been a lot of new news lately around TV shows and, and movies. Uh, Sundance Film Festival is going on right now, and Amazon is a big participator in that. They tend to buy up a lot of movies, and then we get to see those movies come out throughout the year for for Prime members. So very briefly, um, the the series Z: The Beginning of Everything, which uh, follows F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife Zelda. Um, in the 20s, you know, as a flapper. That's the newest Amazon original series that, that, that debuted. It actually debuted today. Uh, Amazon has announced that Patriot, which is another original series, is going to premiere on February 24th. Um, there's also another series called The Collection that's going to premiere, I think, in a couple weeks. So that's kind of what's coming up in the very near future. Uh, then Amazon has acquired the movie Landline from Sundance. I don't know too much about it, but you can uh, find a link down below and click through and, and read up about that movie. Um, there's also a Amazon original series called Heisten that actually is like oh, a little over a year ago. The, the pilot premiered and then Amazon green lit it. But we found out this week that they're actually going to they've canceled the project. So unfortunately, Heisten is not going to be made into a full, you know, full series anymore. 
Amazon also got six uh, Oscar nominations for their movie Manchester by the Sea. This is, you know, one of the biggest movies of the year. Uh, it's it's up for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor. You know, so it's basically, you know, in line to be one of the best movies or, or one of the best awarded movies. It's already won a Golden Globe um, for for the best acting abilities. So uh, hopefully we'll see that movie come to Amazon Prime sometime later this year. Amazon hasn't said exactly when. Uh, the other big movie news that from, from Amazon is the movie The Big Sick. Uh, that's kind of the big movie of the year this year at Sundance and Amazon picked it up for 12 million dollars so um, that that probably is going to be in the running for next year's award season and then we'll probably see that come to Amazon Prime next year or maybe maybe even at the end of this year we don't know but but yeah that's just some of the uh, the new Amazon original news again check the link down below for for more details on all that stuff so the new NVIDIA Shield TV just came out about a week or two ago. And I've, I've had a lot of requests from people uh, who are Fire TV fans and also Android TV fans and have both devices. Uh, I've had a lot of requests for me to cover the NVIDIA Shield and co cover Android TV a little bit more on the site. And so I picked up the NVIDIA Shield myself. So I thought I'd take uh, uh, just a few minutes here to, to show them off and compare it to the Fire TV 2 uh, and just talk about my thoughts about it real quick. So let's go ahead and switch over into full screen mode here. Um, here's the actual uh, Shield TV itself, this 2017 model. Uh, you could see it's a lot smaller than the previous version. The previous version was, you know, much, much bigger than this one. Um, compared to the uh, Fire TV, this is the Fire TV 2, you can see um, very similar in, in size, you know, a little bit wider on one side, but a little bit shorter on the other side. As far as actual ports go, uh, again, very similar. Let me see if I can get that to show up a little bit better for you guys. Um, ports are almost identical. The main difference is that the Fire TV 2 has the SD card, the micro SD card port, whereas the NVIDIA Shield opts for a second USB port. Um, personally, I would prefer that micro SD slot to a second uh, USB port just because you can actually use a uh, USB hub there to expand and get more USB ports, but obviously you can't really add a micro SD slot unless you use like a little USB adapter. Um, the NVIDIA Shield itself does have an internal fan. You can see here with the actual uh, vent holes um, from the front of the device, it actually intakes air from here and then um, outputs the heat out of the back. And so ideally you want to have this um, in some kind of area where there's air flowing through it Moving on to the actual remotes that come with it. Um, so the NVIDIA Shield is $199. It comes both with a game controller and a remote. I have the game controller here. I'll be comparing it to the, the Fire TV's game controller. But here are the, the two remotes. So you've got the Fire TV on top, obviously, and you've got the um, NVIDIA Shield TV's remote on the bottom. Uh, the NVIDIA Shield TV's remote, the new one itself, is uh, a lot different from the original version. So... Um, uh, I, I didn't mention the uh, the hardware of the new NVIDIA Shield TV is the exact same as the previous generation's hardware on the inside. So same processor, same RAM, same internal storage, all of that stuff. Uh, the main difference is the actual peripherals themselves. So the remote itself, as you can see, fairly thin. That's kind of my biggest complaint about it. I definitely like the, the thicker uh, Fire TV remote, you know, a lot easier to hold in the hand, whereas this one just the thinner and just, you know, slides into the couch cushions just so easy. Um, the, the remote itself, the, the so the old version used to have a headphone jack and it actually used to be rechargeable with an actual uh, micro USB port, I believe it was. But this new one actually, no more headphone jack and it actually uses um, 
uh, two C cell batteries, or no, sorry, not C cell, two coin cell batteries um, as the the batteries in it. Nvidia says they'll last about a year with common use, so um, no worries there. But it is. Um, a little inconvenient because you're not going to have those batteries laying around. So you're going to have to order them specifically when the remote dies, which is something you're going to have to wait for those to, to arrive. Whereas with, you know, the Fire TV, it just takes the, the AAA batteries and you usually got those laying around. Uh, remote itself has voice capabilities on it. Um, does not have the always listening capabilities as the game controller does, which I'll talk about in a second. But overall, you know, decent remote. Nice that it's included with the box now, whereas previously the old generation was $200 for the box and the game controller, and you have to pay $50 extra for the remote. So nice, even though they've made it a lot cheaper now, nice that it's still uh, included with the with the actual hardware. Moving on to the game controller itself, it's probably uh, the star of the show in my opinion, because uh, NVIDIA really pushes the Shield TV as a Android game console first and a streaming box second and so that's why I think the actual game controller is pretty important so this is a new one I think big improvement over the previous one I've used the previous one I never owned it myself but I have used it and so I do like this new one a lot better than the old one it's a lot slimmer a lot easier it fits in the hand better the the actual controls feel a little bit better but just overall it's not as fat and bulky as the previous version so that's my biggest uh, uh, improvement or what I like about it the most so here it is I'll try to fit in the uh, old one with the, the, the Amazon's game controller. You could see they're very similar. Um, you could say the, uh, the NVIDIA one has more of the uh, PlayStation actual um, layout to it, whereas the uh, Amazon one has more of an Xbox layout to it, where you've got the uh, joysticks on you know opposite planes and then the, the actual D-pad and the, the actual game controller on, on different planes. Also, where it's here, they're across from each other, if, if that makes sense. The actual thickness of the, the game controller, you could see Amazon's game controller is a little bit thicker, but a little bit stumpier than the actual NVIDIA Shield. Uh, both are nice. You know, I like the thickness of the Amazon game controller in the hand. I think that feels better, but I do like the, uh, the extra length here of the NVIDIA's game controller. Um, as far as the, the rest of the controller, very similar. I mean, the it, it's kind of shocking how similar they are. You can see, I'll put a link, of course, down below to um, my, my full breakdown of, of the, the comparison of these two um, sets of devices here. And so you can read up a little bit more. But um, the, the triggers themselves, very similar. There's just similar bumps there. Um, the actual buttons themselves on them, again, very similar. I do prefer the uh, NVIDIA Shields just a little bit better because they're a little bit fatter and a little bit like can, more consistent as far as you actually press pressing them goes, whereas the uh, the uh, Amazon's game controller when you press those down it's like the there's a little more resistance there and then it just gets pressed down whereas this one's a more even um, press if that makes any sense my biggest complaint by far by far on the Nvidia Shield controller is the d-pad it is absolutely horrific I mean um, it'll do the job for games where you're using the d-pad just to like access menus or or bring up some some uh, weapon selection or something like that but if you have to use the d-pad to actually move around or move a character around the d-pad on the game on the Nvidia Shield controller is just really bad I mean it's the the motion of the d-pad it's so tiny it's it's like the the, the actual button press of the, the Fire TV's remote control. It's, it's that shallow. It's just like a tiny tack switch under there. Whereas 
compared to Amazon's game controller, you've got an actual like rocker D-pad, you know, a true D-pad. So absolutely for like for things like emulators, emulators and that sort of stuff, the Amazon D-pad is so much better than the actual uh, Nvidia Shield D-pad. But for more modern games where you're probably not using the D-pad too much, the the Shield controller is about the same. Um, actual joysticks, both really identical, both feel great, you know, just as good as PlayStation Xbox uh, actual joysticks go. Uh, the other benefit for the NVIDIA game controller is that it has a rechargeable battery built in that you recharge through a micro uh, USB port. Uh, that's a really nice addition, whereas the Amazon game controller still takes the AA batteries. And so I think that's the, the biggest thing about the actual, you know, how fat the Amazon game controller is. It's because it has to incorporate those, those fatter batteries in there, whereas this one probably has like uh, a very slim thin lithium-ion battery inside um, other than that the uh, the game controller has always listening microphone capabilities for the okay Google um, you know voice assistant that has not been pushed yet so I haven't been able to test that it's not released yet but when that comes out you're supposed to be able to just say okay Google and as long as the game controller is you know very close to you you'll be able to actually talk without actually having to press the actual little uh, microphone button that's on the top um, there's also this little uh, touch sensitive area right here and you use that to control the volume of the NVIDIA Shield. So you can swipe down to volume down or swipe up to put the volume up. And then you've got three just regular physical buttons, one for home, one for play, one for back. Uh, that's the, the standard basically, you know, Amazon, sorry, not Amazon, uh, Google Android TV uh, interface. Um, Overall, going through each one, um, I do prefer the NVIDIA Shield game controller overall, but again, the D-pad on this one just kicks the, that one's butt. So if I'm ever going to play anything that needs the D-pad, I would always prefer the uh, Amazon game controller. Um, I've been testing out the actual game controller on the Fire TV. So the Amazon, uh, sorry, the NVIDIA Shield game controller does connect to the to the Fire TV itself. Um, oh yeah, one thing I forgot is that both of them do have the headphone jacks at the bottom. And so you could do private listening wirelessly that way by just plugging in headphones and, and listening to your game or your movie or something like that. So that works on both Amazon and the NVIDIA Shield. And oddly enough, the NVIDIA Shield's game controller, the headphone jack works with the Fire TV. Um, the biggest issue is that you can't control the volume. So the volume is just maxed out, you know, whereas on the Fire TV, they programmed it to where you use the actual um, triggers to put the volume up and down. But uh, that does not work, unfortunately, with the NVIDIA controller but i was surprised that the actual headphone jack works uh, the reason all that works is because the nvidia shields game controller connects via bluetooth and so the fire tv is just capable of using generic third-party bluetooth controllers and bluetooth headphones so it sees this both as a bluetooth controller and a bluetooth headphone and so that's why all of that works so um, i don't think it's a good solution for those of you out there with fire tvs who are thinking of looking for game controllers uh, first of all this is 60 dollars, whereas amazon's controller is only 40 dollars, and because um you don't have the full button selection uh, the same thing like you can't do voice controls on on the fire tv using nvidia's controller so so i don't think it's a good solution but hey if you happen to get the new nvidia shield and you have a fire tv you should be able to use the controller with the fire tv just for for basic gameplay needs um you'll still need the actual remote control for the fire tv to get around the menu and do all of that stuff but actual you know d-pad buttons triggers joysticks those all work on the fire tv 
So again, summary for the game controllers. Um, overall, the NVIDIA Shield has a better game controller than the Fire TV just slightly, just because it's slimmer with the rechargeable battery. I really like that. The always-on uh, microphone that eventually will, will come in a software update to the NVIDIA Shield, uh, that's obviously better than that, ha actually having to press the button on the Fire TV's game controller. Um, but just the D-pad, I don't like on that. And, um, and yeah, so for the game controller, that's that. For the actual remote controls um, overall, I'll take the Fire TV game controller over, uh, sorry, not game controller, just regular remote control any day over the NVIDIA game controller. I don't like the thinness. I like the fact that the Fire TV has the dedicated actual play, fast forward, rewind buttons. Um, just overall, much better remote control on the Fire TV than on the, the Shield controller. And uh, as far as the box itself, um, it's a tough call because like obviously the, the NVIDIA Shield is a much more powerful device because it is gaming centric. Um, Fire TV does play a lot of nice games, a lot of good games, but NVIDIA has been porting over actual like PC console games over to the NVIDIA Shield. So you've got a, a little bit uh, of a selection of much higher end games than you can find on the Fire TV itself. Um, NVIDIA has also, uh, they've got their streaming service where you can actually play games remotely. Um, Fire TV has Gamefly capabilities, which is an app that you can install and, and subscribe to their service and you can play cloud gaming that way. But NVIDIA has their own thing and they've actually, you know, made it work pretty well with the actual NVIDIA Shield itself. So again, my, my overall impressions of, of the device is good. I mean, it's a solid streaming device. Um, for, for just streaming capabilities, I mean, especially if you're not using the 4K or the HDR capabilities, um, it's pretty much overkill. I mean, you know, spending that much for the, you know, $200 compared to just $90 for the Fire TV itself or even $40 for the Fire TV stick, um, that's a much better, you know, streaming solution. Um, if you want the gaming and you really want to use that extra ability of playing those ported over console games on the NVIDIA Shield, then in that regard, obviously the NVIDIA Shield is a better device there. But um, for just general 1080p streaming, I mean, it just seems overkill. You'll definitely be happy with it, obviously. It's a it's a good device, it's a powerful device, but you're really not going to see that extra horsepower when you're streaming Netflix or, or when you're browsing, you know, through a Kodi library or something like that. You're not gonna see a difference. I mean, I'd say the difference is maybe on par between the Fire TV and the Fire TV 2, sorry, the Fire TV stick and the Fire TV 2. Um, you know that's the difference you you might see between the Fire TV 2 and the Nvidia Shield, where you if you've got a huge library, things might be a little bit snappier there. Um, I personally prefer the Amazon interface, the Amazon OS, much better than Android TV's interface. Um, app selection is a lot better there. But again, it all comes down to the the gaming aspect. Um, if if gaming is important to you and you don't mind spending the extra the money over the actual Fire TV and the Fire TV game controller, then that's where I would say the NVIDIA Shield is for you. But if your primary you know, task is to stream and then do maybe a little bit of casual gaming, then uh, I'd say the Fire TV is much better in that sense. Uh, quickly, before I move on into the Q&A section, I did do a, a kind of a partial teardown of the NVIDIA Shield. Uh, mostly, I just wanted to see what that fan looked like inside, whether it'd be an issue, whether the device would overheat, mostly because the first generation NVIDIA Shield was a much bigger device and the, the whole setup inside of it was different. And so now the new NVIDIA Shield has the exact same CPU, GPU, same hardware inside of it, but in a much smaller uh, actual profile, actual case. So I wanted to take a look at the actual um, fan and cooling setup in there. Um, and so uh, I did a, a little walkthrough of how to, to open it up if you need to get in there, because obviously because there is a fan inside, because it has the air intake and uh, air exhaust 
down the line, it's probably going to be recommended that you you get some of the dust that collects inside of it out of there because then the cooling is going to you know deteriorate. And so that's why I wanted to do the teardown. And you can see here, unfortunately, the fan itself is kind of half covered by the actual you know main board of the Nvidia Shield TV. So it will be important, I think, down the line to actually you know at the very least get like compressed air and blow it through the the front vent ports here um, so that you know some of that dust maybe gets out of the back of the device. But uh, yeah, I'll put a link down below again to this little teardown guide and of course to uh, my little comparison of of the, the two devices and detailed pictures and detailed uh, breakdown of everything. All right, let's move on to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Uh, as always, I put a post up on Thursdays asking people to submit their questions for me to try to answer here on the podcast episode. People can also tweet me live at AFTV News. For those of you watching the live stream or answered a few questions that have come in live that were related to the topics I was talking about. But let's go ahead and get right into the first question here from Roy asking opinion on if an antivirus app and which ones in the Amazon App Store is needed for the Fire TV, Fire TV Stick or Mi Box 3. Uh, really, in my opinion, I don't think you need antiviruses on the Fire TV at all. Um, I don't even think there are any in the official Fire TV app store, maybe in the Amazon app store for for tablets and smartphones, but it's really unneeded on the Fire TV. I mean, really the only risk that you have on the Fire TV of something getting on there, either damaging the device or trying to steal your, your private data or something like that, is if you're sideloading a bunch of weird apps that you find online. But if you're just installing apps from the Amazon app, App Store, I think absolutely you don't need to worry about antivirus or anything like that because those apps tend to get vetted pretty well by Amazon. Obviously, some things slip through both on Amazon and, and the Google Play Store, but um, I really would not worry about it. Um, plus, you don't really have that much sensitive data on your Fire TV. I mean, sure, if something got in, it could break the device and ruin the device itself, but you know, it's not really a concern. And I don't think it's ever going to be a concern. So in my opinion, just uh, don't worry about antiviruses on the Fire TV. Next, we've got a question here from Paul asking uh, about an app that's on his device called TV Unsupported Intent. He said uh, it's a system app that he saw pop up when he was uh, trying to sideload apps onto his Fire TV through an, another app called Apps to Fire. Now he's asking, what is this app and what does it do? Uh, so Android has something called Intense, and it's basically where uh, an Android developer can actually have their app request something from the OS. And so because the Fire TV is not a full-blown Android device, there are some things that an app might request that are not available on the Fire TV. Um, one example is a browser. So if you've got an app, for example, that wants to open a website, you know, open a page, open a URL in a browser, if that app is on the Fire TV and it tries to ask the OS to open a page in, in the OS's browser, the Fire TV doesn't have a browser there to actually open that URL in. And so instead of those requests going nowhere or, or crashing the app or something, Amazon has put in this kind of like catch-all default app called TV Unsupported Intent where it will just pop up a, a, a message telling you that your, your Fire TV is not capable of doing what the app is asking it to do. And so that's basically what that 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 app is from Amazon that's on the Fire TV. 
Um, next question here is from Rick Duval. He's saying, is there an option to turn the sleep function on the Fire TV to off? Uh, unfortunately, there is not an option by default. If your device is rooted, there is a way to turn off the sleep function altogether. But again, you have to have a rooted device. There's no way to do it if it's not rooted. I'll put a link down in the show notes to my guide on how to do that. If your device is not rooted, all you can really do is set a custom timer for the screensaver. But if you want to change when the device actually goes, to sleep that you're going to have to root the device. I'll also put a link down below to my rooting guide in case you have a Fire TV that is rootable and you, you really want this feature and you want to root for it. Uh, next question here is from Rex. They're asking how often the Hulu app is updated on the Fire TV. He said the Hulu has added uh, new features for profiles that has not come to the Fire TV version yet. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know. Um, stuff like that is just up to Hulu. There isn't like a set schedule or anything like that. Um, you know, you'll probably want to contact Hulu. Maybe they'll let you know when that, that new update will come. But I can't really keep track of all of the different uh, apps on the Fire TV to know when they're going to be updated and how often they're updated. Our next question is from Jim. He's asking, since I picked up the NVIDIA Shield 2, if I happen to know when the first generation device is going to get the uh, TNT and NBC app. And he's wondering why those apps are in the Google Play Store for tablets and smartphones, but not on the Android TV devices. Uh, he says those apps are already on the Fire TV, so why aren't they on the, in the NVIDIA Shield? Um, it's complicated. It all depends on the apps themselves. Um, it's not as easy as just if the app is available on the smartphone, then it's uh, easy to make it available on a TV interface. Usually there's a lot of code that has to get added or changed for an app to work on a, a TV interface that is already working on a smartphone. So it's obviously not as as much work as creating an app from scratch, but uh, it isn't just you know a flip of the switch where a smartphone app will automatically just start working on a TV interface. So that's why a lot of times you'll find apps on Android devices that are not available on Android TV for for example. As far as why these apps are on Amazon's Fire TV and not on the NVIDIA Shield TV, that really comes down mostly to Amazon and Google and how they treat their platforms. Amazon in general is more, you know, kind of gung-ho towards their Fire TV. They think of it as a very, you know, important part of their business. And so they actually have teams, they have people, they have employees whose job it is to contact companies like NBC, like TNT, to get these apps onto the Fire TV. They want the Fire TV's ecosystem to keep growing. They want all of the different streaming services to be on the Fire TV. Whereas Google, it's more of a, we've created this OS and we put it out there and then we're just gonna kind of let it be its thing. Hopefully people will add services to it. But I don't think they go out of their way to contact all the different streaming services to get those services onto Android TV platform. Um, I, this isn't really based on any information I have or anything I've read. It's just looking at the different app selection on the Fire TV and on Android TV. You have a lot more apps on the Fire TV, a lot more official apps from big names like TNT, like NBC. Whereas on Android, it's like it seems like everything takes a lot longer to go onto that those services, those those platforms. Um, it doesn't really make much sense because the two platforms are very similar. And so an app that works on the Fire TV probably doesn't take much to make it work on Android TV devices, but I think it just comes down to the fact that Amazon is more um, willing to go out of their way and, and make deals with streaming services, with all the different networks to get that onto the Fire TV. Whereas Google just kind of, you know, it's just like a side project for them with Android TV. So next question here is from Tony asking about my recommendations on uh, the best game controllers to use with the Fire TV 2. Uh, I unfortunately don't have that much experience with a wide variety of game controllers. I mean, I would love to be able to just buy all of the top game controllers and try them out and do a 
great big overview, but I, I one, I don't have the time to do that, and two, I don't have the funds to just buy all of those game controllers because that stuff gets pretty pricey, especially the, the higher-end stuff like the, the DualShock one that, that he's talking about. Um, overall, I mean, I know it's a it's a boring recommendation, but I always recommend Amazon's game controller the best. It's the most solid. It works the best. It has the most compatibility with all of the games on there. It obviously has all the functionality. It has the, the headphone jack, and it's one of the few that has a headphone jack that works with, with the Fire TV. Um, it is a little on the pricey side, $40, but, you know, cheaper than the Xbox controller and the DualShock Sony controller, which is the one Tony is talking about here. So sorry, I can't really recommend other game controllers, but that's the one I always go to. That's my go-to. That's the one I recommend. Um, Tony's also asking about the Sony DualShock 4's compatibility with the Fire TV. Uh, he said he tried to follow my guide on getting the key mapping working with the Fire TV. I'll put a link down below to that guide that he's talking about. But he said it did not work with this latest 2016 version of the DualShock controller. Uh, my guide is for the older DualShock controller. Most likely, I would guess that you'd have to uh, figure out the actual device ID of the new controller and and figure out the actual key mapping, uh, actual keys that you'd have to map within that file. So it would probably need a little bit of adjusting there where you put in a different uh, device ID in the key map and you might have to adjust the actual key map themselves a little bit for the new uh, DualShock controller. Uh, that stuff I would guess you could find online in other sources. I have not looked into it, um, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, first step is I would say try to figure out the actual device ID of the game controller, the new one, uh, and change that and then see if that works for you. All right, next we got a few questions here from Win about the uh, Alexa skill to add the Google Voice capabilities to uh, Amazon Echo and Fire TVs. Uh, first, uh, Win wanted to mention that he's in Germany and he said that uh, if you're doing following the guide, you still have to select the EU Ireland option, not the EU Frankfurt option because then Alexa skill kit is not available. Uh, thank you, Dotwin. I'll definitely be adding that to my guide after uh, I finish with the podcast. So thanks for that little tip there. As to Dotwin's actual questions, uh, he's asking about the uh, basic plan for AWS that you have to set up to get that skill working. He says that in the terms, it says that it's free for the first 12 months. And he's wondering, is he going to be charged anything after that first 12 months? Uh, I know Amazon's AWS is not that clear about the subject, but no, you will not get charged after the 12 months. Amazon's AWS, their basic plan comes with 12 months free to cover all of their services. But uh, some services after 12 months will charge you. But the specific service, the, the Lambda service that you use to, to set up this Alexa skill, is actually still free after those 12 months as long as you stay under a million uh, requests a month, which is something you'll never do as if you're just using this for your own purposes to actually ask Google questions. Um, so there's no worry there. After the 12 months, as long as you stay below that 1 million requests, it'll still be free completely. Um, the other question that uh, Dotwin asks about this is if uh, can you actually uh, close the AWS account after you've gone through the guide and set everything up. No, you can't because every time you make an Ask Google request through Alexa, it is actually going to Amazon's AWS servers. That's why you're setting that up. So the skill itself has to be hosted somewhere on the internet uh, and you're doing that on Amazon's AWS cloud. And so if you shut down that AWS account, then the skill would have nowhere to go. 
And so you do need to keep that AWS account open, but don't worry, after the 12 months, it's still gonna be free as long as you stay on that basic plan. Uh, again, you'll never reach that million request cap. Uh, the, the point of that million request cap is if you're creating an Alexa skill that you're publishing you know, to the world for anybody to use, then you can get closer to that million request because you're gonna have a whole bunch of different people using that same AWS account. But the way you set it up in my guide, you're basically just creating an account for your own purposes and you're going to be the only one using it and you'll never reach that cap and so you'll never be charged all right next question here is from techie chris he says i have automatic updates and in-app purchases both set to off on my two fire tvs both seem to randomly turn on from time to time for no apparent reason any idea what might trigger this uh, off the top of my head i can think of two things um, one if your tv has hdmi cec capabilities sometimes the tv itself will kind of like you know, false trigger the Fire TV to wake up over the HDMI port. So that's one option I've, I've heard from a lot of people where their, their Fire TV just wakes up randomly and it's usually because their TV uh, basically just sends some kind of signal to the, to the Fire TV itself and tells it to wake up. Uh, the other possibility is that even though you have software updates blocked and you have in-app purchases uh, disabled on the Fire TVs, uh, they are still connecting to Amazon servers and periodically downloading things. Uh, for one, they they pre-cache some of the images for the user interface. That stuff gets updated periodically, and so there is that ping there. So just because you have uh, actual app updates and in-app purchases and software updates blocked, there are other things that the device itself is connecting to Amazon servers for, and so that could be triggering it to basically you know wake up uh, like you're saying. Um, so those are the two most likely things. Um, I wouldn't see it as a big concern because really the Fire TV itself, even though it has a sleep mode, it never really is asleep. All sleep mode does on the Fire TV and the Fire TV stick is actually disable the video output of the device. Uh, the, the actual device itself is still fully functional, fully capable of, of downloading things from the internet. It doesn't actually go into any kind of like hibernation mode or anything. It's still using just a little bit of power there. So I wouldn't really be too concerned about it. Next question is from Axe uh, asking about mounting an external USB hard drive formatted with HFS Plus on Fire OS 5. Um, I don't know specifics about that. The Fire TV by default only supports FAT32 formatted USB drives. Uh, if the device is rooted, you can use uh, third-party software to actually get NTFS drives supported. I've never myself investigated HFS uh, formatted drives, so I can't say if there are third-party solutions there, but by default, the regular Fire OS will not support those, that's for sure. So I'll put a link down below to my guide on mounting NTFS drives. Maybe that'll lead you to how to mount HFS drives. But again, I haven't looked into it myself. Um, but without rooting, you're only going to be able to mount FAT32 drives. Next, we've got Jimmy here asking about future rooting options for Fire OS version 5.2.4.0. And if anybody else is working on rooting that device, uh, nobody ever really works on a specific Fire TV version to root it. Uh, it's always exploits that you hear about. So, you know, Android exploits will become public and then people will take those exploits and try to see if the Fire TV itself is vulnerable. If it is vulnerable, then they'll see if they can use that exploit to actually gain root access. So it's, it's a big, long process. And so right now, I don't know of any 5.2.4.0 exploits that exist that people are working on. 
but these kind of things can come around at any time so there's really no way to know if or when the 5.2.4.0 or any software version for the Fire TV will get rooted in the future. It's just one of those things where if you really, really care about rooting, your best option is to block software updates and just wait and see if in the future a, a rooting method works for that software version. Our next question here is from John C. He's asking about um, basically my opinion of the Show Me Me box. He said in, in the previous podcast, I called it crummy. Um, I'm not sure if that's exact, exactly what I called it, but he wanted me to elaborate on that. Uh, he says he has a Mi Box and a Fire TV 2. He says it's working fine for him for 1080p streaming. And he sees it as a better device because it supports HDR video, whereas the Fire TV 2 does not. Uh, he says he doesn't like the fact that it doesn't have as many apps, but he does like the user interface on the Mi Box better than the Fire TV. So yeah, I think it was, um, I think Clocks also called me out on what I said about the Mi Box. Um, it's not a bad device. Um, I should have probably elaborated a, a little bit more on my opinions on the Mi Box. Um, but overall, my, my flaws with it or my faults with it are where it falls in between the Fire TV Stick and the Fire TV Box. It's absolutely a very capable 1080p streaming device. And so if you're just using it for that, it'll definitely get the job done. I was expecting it to be more on par as far as gaming, as far as horsepower, as far as the processor and the GPU. I was expecting the Mi Box to be more on par with the Fire TV Box, the Fire TV 2 that is. Uh, but really, it's more on par with the Fire TV Stick 2. Uh, it does not have that good of a CPU or GPU. Of course, it's very capable of doing 1080p, just as John C. says. But so is the Fire TV Stick. And so for that, I mean, I would not spend the extra money um, to get the Mi Box over the Fire TV Stick if all you want to do is stream 1080p content. Sure, it does do HDR and sure, it does do 4K, but it doesn't really do 4K that well. It actually drops some frames because it doesn't have that horsepower. The Fire TV 2 is a much more capable 4K streaming device. But yeah, it's, it's an older device, so it doesn't have HDR. So if HDR is really important to you, definitely the Mi Box is, is the way to go because it's the cheapest HDR streaming device. Um, running Android that is I think maybe Roku has a cheaper HDR or, or on par HDR streaming device but yeah no it's not it's not a bad device my my gripe with it again is where it falls in between those two I personally would recommend somebody saves a little bit of money gets a fire TV stick um, if they're just streaming 1080p or spend a little bit more get a fire TV box because it's going to be a much more capable gaming device much better hardware much better you know just port selection uh, better at 4k uh, you know it doesn't have the HDR but that's where I, that's why I called it crummy where you know I don't recommend it to people because it 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 falls right in between the box and the stick, the Fire TV box and stick. And it just doesn't justify for me that extra, you know, 20 bucks, 20, 30 bucks you would spend over the Fire TV stick because it's it's closer to the Fire TV stick than it is to the Fire TV box. So that's really what it comes down to with the Mi Box. That's why I don't really talk about it much on the site. That's why I don't really suggest it or recommend it to people. Um, definitely the NVIDIA Shield Box, definitely much more expensive device. But if you're looking for HDR 4K and you want, you know, Big Bang, um, the, the, the NVIDIA Shield TV is the way to go there. But obviously it's twice as expensive as the Fire TV Box. Um, Hopefully down the line, you know, sometime later this year, we're going to see 4K, better 4K at 60 frames per second and HDR support come from Amazon with a new Fire TV. They haven't said anything yet, but I would be shocked if, you know, come come October, November, you know, basically the holiday shopping season, I would be shocked if we don't see new hardware from Amazon come out, new Fire TVs come out with HDR and with, you know, better, even better 4K support. So 
Uh, I would say if you absolutely need HDR support and you don't want to spend that much money to get the NVIDIA Shield, go for the Mi Box. Otherwise, either wait for the next-gen Fire TV devices or just pick up the Fire TV 2 box. That's my recommendation, and that's kind of where my opinion falls on the, the Mi Box. Uh, hopefully, John, that's uh, enough elaboration for you. <laughs> Uh, next question is from Keith asking about the new UI for the first Gen Fire TV boxes. He said he heard about them starting to arrive on the Gen 1 boxes and then stopped hearing about it. Uh, that's actually not the case. Um, the new UI, the new Fire TV interface, has not started rolling out at all to the first generation Fire TV and the first generation Fire TV stick. Uh, we don't know when that's going to come, but... Um, uh, Keith, who has a rooted device with TWRP, he says he relies on the forums and on AFTV News to, to know about updates. And so uh, definitely I am keeping on top of it as soon as I hear anything about when that new UI is going to come to the older generation devices. I'll definitely uh, let you know. And of course, I'll be capturing those URLs, those update URLs, passing them over to our box for him to create the pre-rooted ROM so that those of you who have rooted first-gen devices, both the stick and the box, uh, you will be able, hopefully, to update to that new UI through the pre-rooted ROMs that our box creates. All right, next question here is from Damien. She says, uh, uh, having trouble with the second-gen Fire TV Sticks voice remote, says that when they press the microphone button on the remote they get a, an error message on the screen and whenever that happens they have to unsync the remote unsync the game controller resync the remote and restart the stick for it all to work for a few more days and then it all happens again um i've never heard of this problem happening i'm sorry to say well not sorry to say but i mean sorry to say because i can't help you but you know um, it doesn't seem like it's a, a big issue. I would definitely try to contact Amazon about it. Hopefully they'll send you a new remote because that definitely doesn't seem like a common behavior or something that should be happening. I did hear from somebody actually that you can force a remote reboot um, if you hold the back button, the menu button, and the left button simultaneously for a few seconds. Um, I have not tried it myself yet, actually. I'm just remembering it right now. I plan to actually give it a shot, just see if it actually does anything. But maybe that's worth trying. Um, uh, I would expect if it does do an actual reboot, it might, you know, disconnect from your device. So you'll have to actually, like, you know, power it off, power it on to get it to reconnect maybe. But that's one suggestion. But other than that, I would definitely, if it keeps happening to you, Damien, I would definitely contact Amazon and see if you can get that remote swapped out because it sounds like there's something wrong with it. All right, next question is from Jim asking, what are my plans or what I, what do I plan to do with the new Shield TV? Um, really don't have any plans for it. Um, I picked it up just because you guys keep wanting me to cover Android TV, wanting me to cover NVIDIA Shield a little bit more. Whenever something interesting comes up that I come across for the Shield TV or for Android TV in general, I'll try to cover it. And now that I actually have the device, the most popular Android TV device, I'll, I'll now be able to cover it a little bit better. That's really my only plans. I don't plan to use it as my main device just because I prefer the Fire TV interface. I prefer the Amazon Fire TV app selection. I prefer Alexa capabilities in there. And so I'm not planning to actually, you know, use it as my main device or anything like that or, or cover it as in-depth as I cover the Fire TV. Uh, just going to keep it around and see if I can, you know, do anything interesting with it. Um, so no exact plans there. Uh, Jim is also asking about his uh, first gen Fire TV restarting while using Kodi. Uh, he has an external hard drive connected to it, wondering if the new software update might fix it. Uh, definitely possible. I mean, I don't know exactly why it's restarting on you, but this new 5.2.1.2 uh, software update is supposed to fix some bugs and it's supposed to uh, fix some security issues. So definitely probably a good idea to update to it regardless. 
All right, that'll do it for the 69th episode of the AFTV Newscast. Thank you so much for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, please click through, click that like button and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I really appreciate both of those things. Helps uh, get my channel's subscriber count up and gets me a little bit more exposure there and get people, you know, checking out what I'm up to. Um, if you're listening, you can obviously listen to the audio only version and subscribe through various uh, different podcasting apps. It's available through iTunes, through Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, basically any any big app will probably let you subscribe that way so i encourage you to subscribe if you if you want to listen to just the audio version also but thank you so much for watching and for listening and i hope to see you next week